You may be seated. It was a sobering moment for me as, as I stood before an ancient altar that was in the midst of ruins of an ancient city, the ancient city of Megiddo in modern Israel, a city positioned there just above the Jezreel Valley on the Mount Carmel Ridge. And I remember standing there thinking that the Canaanite culture that established that city, the city that later King Solomon conquered and made it one of his major cities of his kingdom, but during the the Canaanites' inhabitants of that place, they built that altar. And there upon that altar, human sacrifices were made to appease and gain favor of their gods, false gods, fake gods, made-up gods. But their human sacrifices were made. Human blood was spilled to be acceptable before fake and false gods. And I thought of the God of the Bible, the one true God, who has made a way for sinful people to be acceptable before him. And what's amazing and what's astounding, that way is by a human sacrifice. And this will be our topic today. As we look to this way of atonement that God has made through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Now last week we began our study of the book of Leviticus and we considered Leviticus beginning where Exodus left off and so we looked at verses 1 through the very first section of the second verse and we looked at the tent of meeting. That tent of meeting where the instructions were given in Exodus and was completed represented God the covenant king dwelling in the midst of his covenant people. And the rest of Leviticus is about the way that God has made for that time for his people to come before him and to be in his presence and have fellowship with him. And so God gave Moses the word to then speak to the people in verse 2 and the first part, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, this is how you must come to be in my presence, to be accepted by me. And so if you take your Bibles and open to Leviticus chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the rest of verse 2 and really the rest of chapter 1 today, but I want to make a note about this second part of verse 2. It really is an introduction to this first chapter of Leviticus, this first section of Leviticus that begins with chapter 1 and verse 3 and goes all the way through chapter 6 and verse 7. This section is about the five offerings that Israel were to make, these rituals that God established so that his people might come and be in his presence, be accepted by him, though 
they are impure and sinful people. And so in verse 2b, we read, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. And then what follows are these very detailed instructions about these five major offerings that were to be made by the Israelites. And each of these five offerings follow a literary form known as case law, a case law that was known in the ancient world, a case law that even appears today. And case law is basically this. It begins with a statement like, if or when a condition is met that is applicable to this particular law, so that would be the condition, then, the second part, this is what is to happen. And so if you look at verse 3, for example, we read, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, that's the condition that was applicable to the law, then the text tells us, he shall offer a male without blemish. That is what is to happen to meet that condition. And so the the first law, the burnt offering that we'll focus on today, and the other four major offerings follow this particular form. Now, I'm not going to read the entire rest of the chapter 1, but I will read verses 3 through 9 because these verses basically give enough information for us to know what's going on in the whole chapter. And the, the second section that would be verses 14 through 17 basically repeats what we will read in verses 3 through 9, though with just a different animal. And then the last section has to do with this special situation of, a, of birds, turtle doves and pigeons being offered as a burnt offering. And so if you take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 1, begin reading with verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons... The priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, On the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word revive our souls even today. Now, before we dive in further to this passage, I would like to commit our time to the Lord in prayer. So let us pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that you might work in the lives of your people today. God, the Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased to open our hearts to hear your word, to apply it, to change us, to conform us to it. Oh, Lord, that we might leave this place having been changed 
not by my word, but by the very word of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we depend on you to work, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have four points today, not three points, so don't be shocked. Uh, First of all, the place, the purpose, the price, and the priest of atonement. You'll find those on the sermon outline. Now, I want to first look at the place where the offering by the offerer was brought, and the place actually points to the problem mankind has in being accepted by God. And of course, the problem is sin and impurity. So if we look at verse 3, verse 3 tells us, and we've already read this and alluded to it several times thus far, that, that the offer was to bring his burnt offering to the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, God's blueprint for the tabernacle and the tent of meeting is very, very uh, specific, and you can find the specificity and the details and the blueprint in Exodus chapter 25 and through verse 27. But I simply want to just very quickly go over the basic structure, the basic configuration of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. First of all, the tabernacle complex, which was the larger structure, measured 100 by 50 cubits or 100 by 75 feet. And the structure was oriented on an east and west axis. The entrance was on the east side of the complex, and as one would enter the tabernacle area, the first thing that you would encounter would be the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made, and then there would be a basin where the blood was collected, and then just beyond that would be the actual smaller structure, which was the tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting had two rooms. The first one was the holy place, and it measured 20 by 10 cubits. And as you would walk through the veil that was on the east side of the tent of meeting, as you went through that veil, you would, you would find an arrangement of a table for the bread, a lamp, and an altar for the incense. Then as you progress further into the holy place, you would come to another veil, a very beautifully embroidered veil, a veil that was embroidered with cherubim on it, and that was the entrance on the east side of this second room of the most holy place, and there was only one item in that room. And it was the Ark of the Covenant with the gold mercy seat that was atop of it with the two cherubim that were adorned it. And the mercy seat actually was considered to be God's throne. And so when the glory of the Lord descended upon the tent of meeting, we can imagine that glory settling upon that mercy seat in the most holy place behind that veil embroidered with cherubim on the east side of that room. And if you're confused, you probably have a Bible that has a picture of this that you can refer to. But God just doesn't do stuff capriciously 
or haphazardly. There's a reason for it. And so the offer, the offer would bring his burnt offering, either from the herd or from the flock or a bird. And he would come through the entrance on the east side of the tabernacle complex, and he would go to just north of the altar, and there he would bring his offering to be sacrificed. And just beyond that was the basin, and just beyond that was the entrance to the tent of meeting, that tent of meeting that represented God's presence, the covenant king enthroned in his palace in the midst of his people. And the entrance is on the east side of the tent of meeting. And the entrance to the most holy place is on the east side of the most holy place. Now, why was God so specific? And what is all this business about the east side entrances? Keep your finger in Leviticus 1, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to say three things about Genesis chapter 3 that helps us understand the east side entrances and the significance of them to the burnt offering. And the first thing that I want to mention that you'll find in Genesis chapter 3, just as you peruse that, if you look down to verse 7, After Adam sinned and violated the covenant, Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. What did they do? They ran around trying to find something to cover their nakedness up, and all they could find was some fig leaves. And so they grabbed the fig leaves, and they tried to cover up their nakedness. They tried to cover up their shame. And so the first thing we see that I think is, there are many things to look at here, but one of the three things that I want us to look at is the shame of the sinner because of sin. And no matter how good of a seamstress we are, no matter how thick the fig leaves are, no matter how many fig leaves we can come up with, we, we cannot cover our shame. We need to know that. And the second thing that I want to say about this passage, if you look uh, to verse 20 is that God is the one, the Lord is the one, who made the first animal sacrifice. And he slaughtered animals, and he skinned them, and he took those skins, and he covered Adam and Eve's shame. But in so doing, the lifeblood of those animals were spilled. And the third thing that I want to say about this passage is in verse 24 of Genesis 3. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now do you see why the east side entrances are so significant here in Leviticus 1? 
There is no way man can approach holy God because his holiness is protected by these angelic beings, the cherubim, with flashing swords. It just shows us that, that holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, anything sinful, and especially sinful human beings that have rebelled against him. And so for God to be present with his people, for his people to have fellowship with him, there has to be a way to get through those cherubim. There has to be a way to enter through the east entrance into God's presence. There has to be a way for this being driven out and alienated from God to be reversed. And that's what God shows us right here in Leviticus 1. This this tent of meeting represented holy God, the east side entrance being guarded from anything sinful entering in it to protect God's holiness and God providing a way, just like he provided a way for Adam and Eve's shame to be covered. Think of the covering of Christ's righteousness on us. And just as that animal that God slaughtered, that blood was spilt, making atonement. And what Genesis 3 tells us is that the only way for sinful man to come before holy God is by way of what? Sacrifice. And we see it right here in Leviticus chapter 1. So the place of atonement helps us understand why there has to be a way of atonement. And now let's look at this second aspect, the purpose of atonement. Sinful and impure people can be accepted before holy God by making, by atonement being made on their behalf. Now there's lots to say about atonement. I only want to really focus on three things briefly. Go back to the Pilgrim's Progress sermon. It's on, it's on the web. Uh, where I dealt with Pilgrim there at the cross and the sepulcher, and we dealt more thoroughly with atonement. But the first thing I want to talk about with regards to atonement is the principle of substitution. The offer would, would, would bring his, his sacrificial animal there to the, the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the text says in verse 3 that he may be accepted before the Lord... And, of course, the animal was used, as we have read, rather from the herd or from the flock. And in both cases, they were to be male and they were to be without blemish or perfect animals. Read about this in verses 3, but also verse uh, 10. And there is a special case regarding uh, birds. And the birds that were offered were either turtle doves or pigeons. I'll speak more about why this provision was made a little bit later. But... The, uh, the bird burnt offerings begin with verse 14. You can read about that. And so the animal sacrifice and the offer was to bring them there, and he was to place his hand, the text says, to lay his hand on the head of the animal, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement in verse 4. And so the act of the offer laying his hands on the head 
of that animal established a relationship between the offerer and that animal so that that animal could be accepted on behalf of the offerer. So that the death of that animal, the shedding of that animal's blood would be accepted on behalf of the offerer as a substitute for the purpose, verse 4, of making atonement. So substitution. We see it right here in Leviticus 1. And then secondly, atonement was accomplished by the blood. The one who brought the animal would slaughter the animal, but the priest would go to that basin and take it and collect that animal's blood. And then the priest who would perform this ritual act of not only collecting the blood from the animal, but would take that blood and throw it, the text says, splash it upon the side of the altar. The life of the victim represented by the victim's life blood is what accomplished atonement. So substitution, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, we read earlier. And then thirdly, expiation and propitiation. Atonement is both expiation, the purification of sin and impurity, and the removal of guilt, and propitiation, the ransom, one being ransomed from God's judgment or God's wrath being averted from that person. So the purpose of atonement is for sinful people, for impure people to have a way where their sins have been paid for and they can come and be accepted before holy God. Of course, the problem is that over and over and over again, one was to bring a burnt sacrifice. This was not a one-time deal. I mean, just imagine being an Israelite living under this Old Testament system, living in the shadows, so to speak, and all the blood that was spilled. The morning and evening sacrifices were burnt offerings where animals were slaughtered at about 9 in the morning and about 3 in the afternoon. And then all the people that would come and bring their... Think of all the blood. That place just ran with blood, a flood of blood. Over and over again, the shedding of the blood of animals to make atonement for God's people so they could be acceptable before him. Well, let's look at the price of atonement, the third point. The price of the burnt offering was significant. The burnt offering was the costliest of the five offerings. The most valuable animal was from the herd and a male without defect. The second of economic value would have been an animal from the flock, a sheep or a goat, a male without defect. And the least valuable would be a turtle dove and a pigeon. But guess what? That turtle dove and pigeon, though it was the least valuable, economically speaking, was sufficient to make atonement for the offerer. And so 
this provision of the pigeon and the turtle dove was for the poor. So that every Israelite, rich or poor, would be able to come and have blood shed by some animal as a substitute for his or her blood to be forgiven of sins. Now, a turtle dove and a pigeon to someone who has no money was a costly sacrifice, wasn't it? And so after the blood was shed, uh, after the offerer slaughtered the animal, the priest collected the blood and threw it upon the altar. And the text isn't clear, but I take it to mean that the priest is the one who does all these other ritual acts, flaying of the animal, butchering of the animal, washing the entrails and the legs to make sure there was no fecal matter on that, on those organs. Um, arranging all of the head, the fat, the pieces on the altar, bringing the wood, putting fire to it. That's all the priests doing these ritual acts. With regards to the birds, a little different scenario, that the offerer would come and probably that, that laying on of hands to identify the, the bird with the offerer is probably done because of the person holding the bird and giving it to the priest, the priest would then wring its neck, and the crop, which would be a large section of the esophagus that was for holding of the food uh, or storing of food, and was probably likened to the entrails of the larger animals, was was taken out, was thrown in the ashes. Beside the bird was torn in half and put upon the the fire. And the whole the, the point of it is, everything was burned. The whole animal was consumed. Nothing was left for the offer to use. Nothing was even left for the priest to make use of. It was a whole burnt offering, the costliest. And think of the debt of sin that we have. And nothing short of a costly sacrifice the costliest of sacrifices will do now let me just ask you this question can you put a value well let's say we can't put a value on a bull can't we I'm sure someone could we had a bull to come in here and probably someone could say well that bull is worth ten thousand dollars right and so we slaughter it and we get $10,000 worth of atonement, right? <laughs> but can you put a value on Jesus' life? Can you put a value on his blood? Do you see what Leviticus is getting at here? That for a sinner to be accepted before God, only the costliest of sacrifices can make atonement. And each offering that is made, verse 9, verse 13, verse 17 of Leviticus 1, ends with this phrase, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I burn meat, it is anything but a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
And so what does this mean? That burnt meat, burnt flesh is a pleasing aroma. Well, first of all, it's a costly sacrifice. Secondly, it is a whole burnt offering. And because it is whole, because it is everything, because it represents a costly sacrifice, it satisfies and pleases the Lord, and it brings God's favor upon the offerer. The price of atonement, the purpose of atonement, the place of atonement, and now lastly, the priest of atonement. The Old Testament burnt offering is a pointer, or if we take the words from Hebrews chapter 10, a shadow of the true thing to come. It points to, it's a shadow of the ultimate, the true burnt offering that makes atonement. And it points to the atoning work of Jesus. He is the great high priest that we've already read about from Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 4. He is the unblemished, perfect sacrifice. He is the burnt offering that makes atonement. By His blood, we experience the removal of guilt, expiation. So I'll just read two verses that Jeff read earlier from Hebrews 9. That atonement, expiation is accomplished by His blood. Verse 12 of Hebrews 9. He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then verse 14, and listen to this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Did you get that? How much more will Christ's blood expiate, purify God's people, remove guilt from them? Atonement is expiation by the shedding of Christ's blood. Atonement is propitiation. It it is accomplished also by Christ's blood. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. I mean, how much more will Christ's blood bring about propitiation, ransom us from judgment, and protect us from the wrath of God. How much more will Christ's blood do that? Atonement is substitution. It is accomplished by Jesus taking my place and your place on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds... 
You have been healed, says Peter. How much more does Christ taking my place bring about my acceptance before God? And atonement is favor. And this favor is accomplished by Jesus being the costliest of the costliest sacrifices. He is the whole burnt offering that is supremely satisfying and pleasing to God. Paul most definitely had Leviticus 1 and this burnt offering in mind when he wrote this in Ephesians 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us. And listen to this. Gave himself up for us as what? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How much more will Christ's fragrant offering gain us presence to be in fellowship with holy God? How much more? How much more? Leviticus 1 and the burnt offering points to the burnt offering, Jesus, who is much, much more. And what is our response? Think of all that Jesus has done. Think of the how much more Jesus is in being our substitute, in gaining favor on our behalf before God, in averting God's wrath from us by His blood removing our guilt. How much more is Jesus? And like those burnt offerings that were offered in Leviticus chapter 1, whole burnt offerings, listen to this, how much more should our whole lives be solely devoted to God? How much more? I was, it was a sober moment as I stood before that ancient altar in that ancient city where human sacrifices were made, but it was an amazing moment. Because I stood before that altar knowing that human blood was spilt to gain favor with fake and false gods who could not muster up any wrath to bring upon the one who offered the sacrifice. But I stood there fully acceptable to the one true God, the God of the Bible. Why? How much more is the blood of Christ to atone for my sins that I might be a living sacrifice to God? See what Paul says in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
It is the burnt offering of Christ on the cross that enables me to stand before holy God and to be acceptable. And how much more should I be fully devoted to him as a living sacrifice? Let us pray. Father, we ask you to impress upon our hearts the burnt offering of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Christ, on his cross. We ask you, O Lord, to remind us of his costly sacrifice that we might stand before God with, with our, our sin completely removed and the wrath of God completely averted because Jesus took that wrath for us himself. And Father, I pray that as we think about these things, as these things sink deeply into our hearts, O oh God, that we might respond as a burnt offering. Not a burnt offering where our lifeblood is spilled, but a living sacrifice that is fully devoted to God, the whole of us. That in Christ, that we would be acceptable and pleasing to him. And so work that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.